Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, verses 24 to 31. This is the narrative of Thomas, the one who was absent when Christ appeared to the ten other disciples, has heard the news that he is risen, but he refuses to believe. It's a powerful narrative that John, the gospel writer, records, bringing deep encouragement to us who often find ourselves in doubt. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, John 20, beginning at verse 24 and going through verse 31. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Please be seated. Father, we want so much, so much to see and feel your powerful presence. We want so much to cry out, as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. We want so much to be honest with the struggles that we encounter, seeing here again your grace and mercy as you enter into this place, into this man's doubt, and in doing so, reveal yourself in such a way that he cries out, my Lord and my God. Father, at the end of this day, would that be true of us? And if it's true of us now, it'll be true for all eternity. You alone are God. Rescue us, O Lord. Save your people. Remind us of that great work of salvation that you've accomplished. And now, Holy Spirit, stir our souls to see the truth from this passage. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I love the story that I just had the privilege of reading to you, the story of a man who is in deep doubt, who walked with the disciples and saw all that Christ did. I want to start by reminding you that the gospel of John, John writing it, is very specific about the purpose of his letter. Near the end of what I read, John tells us in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of John's gospel. 
He says it time and time again. This is why he's recorded these events. And the story of Thomas's doubt is a gift to the church. It is a gift to people who find themselves in positions of deep doubt to see that the Lord Jesus Christ himself really rose from the dead, that he presented himself evidence that he had risen and walked upon this earth. And there you see in this text, this profound ministry of Christ as he pursues one of his own who is struggling, locked up in deep doubt and in revealing himself, enables him to cry out, my Lord and my God. The way I would like to approach the text this morning is for us to re-enter into that room, to re-enter into the room where the disciples once again found themselves Now one week, eight days later from the time in which Christ first appeared to the 10. And what I would like to do is spend a few minutes talking about the 10 disciples. Then I would like to speak about Thomas and then finally about Jesus. We know that the 10 disciples had encountered Christ the week before. There were only 10 because Judas had taken his life after his betrayal. And for some reason, Thomas wasn't there. I'll get there in just a minute. But what we know from their their first gathering is that they gathered as a group of men who were afraid. Chapter 20, verse 19 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Because of all that had happened to Christ, because of all the chaos that was going on around them, they had gathered together and hunkered down behind locked doors when suddenly Christ appeared to them. He was in the midst of them. He was in the middle of them. He was amongst them. And as he reveals himself, he says to them, as Paul Goebel preached last week, peace be with you. The word tells us that the disciples were glad. This is in verse 20. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That word gladness is an exceeding joy. And you can imagine, here they are, fearful, frightened, and not with a knock on the door, not with a a hammering on the door to let him in. Jesus Christ himself, the living God is now present in their midst. The one that they watched die, the one that they watched suffer, the one whom took on all that was so unjust, whose body truly died and was placed in the tomb. He is now in their presence And these 10 disciples are experiencing ecstatic, exceeding joy. How could they not be? Their grief now is met with glory. Their grief is met with the risen Lord who speaks to them. But there's one who is absent and it's Thomas. Verse 24 says that Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Well, where was he? It's a fair question. The answer is God only knows. And that statement is true. God only knows. What I think is very important for us to note is that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, moves towards his disciples. And on that first night when Thomas wasn't there, he knew he wasn't there. This is God's providence that there would be a disciple who is in deep doubt, 
This is in God's providence that he would give this gift to his church, knowing that so many would struggle to believe. So many would find themselves locked up in deep doubt. So many who who truly believe that Christ is who he says he is will at moments find themselves locked up in doubt about some of his attributes or his goodness or his will. Thomas is such a one as that. Where was he? God only knows. But it was not outside of God's providence that he wasn't in that room. For Christ knew that one week later, he would have this encounter with this one sheep who was locked up in deep doubt. So let's talk for a minute about Thomas. He wasn't there, probably should have been, but wasn't. When he finally hears the news that Christ has been risen from the dead, that Christ is alive, he hears it from these 10 disciples, his closest friends. He hears it from the ones who watched Jesus do amazing things. He was in the boat when Jesus came walking on the water. He was in the boat when he called Peter out of the boat. He was there when Jesus broke the bread and the fishes and fed thousands upon thousands of people. He saw Christ do so many things. He was witness to those along with the 10. And now these 10 have a word for him. He's alive. Jesus appeared to us. We're sorry you missed it, but he's alive. But Thomas is so locked up in doubt that he can't believe even his closest friends. He can't believe those who followed Jesus for those three years. He can't believe even with their enthusiastic gladness, their joy that he is alive. Thomas is honest. And in his honesty, he says to his friends, those fellow disciples, unless, this is in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I see, I will never believe. Thomas is being honest. And in his honesty, he says what he needs to see. I think it's at some level hyperbole that he never imagined there would be a moment when Jesus would appear before him. He's so deeply locked into his doubt, but he's being honest. A couple of weeks ago, and looking at this passage, our own Pat Hoban, Director of Counseling and Care here at PCPC, who also leads our redemption ministry, was on the phone with many of the redemption group um, leaders. And he was leading them to, to look at this passage and he asked a question to them. What would it have been like to have Thomas in a redemption group? And this is what Pat went on to say. He says about Thomas's doubt, it wasn't pretty. He wasn't willing to rely on what Jesus had said previously And he wasn't willing to rely on the eyewitness account of his closest friends. Both are sad, but he was honest. We live in a culture, Pat says, where even today people are still prone not to be doubting 
are honest, or I would say honest about their doubt. They don't share their doubts. Here in Dallas, we're tempted to cover them up so that we look good on the outside. This is not what Thomas did. Thomas was honest about his doubt. There was no other way he could speak because his doubt was too deep. For all of us, followers of Christ and those perhaps who are seeking Christ, there are moments in our life where doubt exists. I think it's important to note that Thomas's doubt was not in whether or not Jesus existed. He knew that he existed. He had seen all the miracles. He had heard all the teaching. He knew that he had raised Lazarus from the dead and others. Thomas's doubt was not whether or not God exists. His doubt was centered on one who had walked with Jesus, who now couldn't fathom the reality that he had risen from the dead. His doubt was not, did Jesus ever exist? It was, is he truly alive? His doubt was in the reality of the resurrection. Thomas is honest about his doubt. His doubt was deep. In that honesty, Thomas is emphatic and he's he's entrenched. There seems to be nothing no enthusiasm of these ecstatic disciples who have seen him, not their t- testimony, no matter how passionate they were, was going to lift him from this place. So what might be underneath his doubt? We're not told, but I know from my own experience and as a pastor that so often when we get locked up in doubt, it's born out of a wound out of some wound that causes us to disbelieve the power, the goodness and truth of our living God. It's very possible that Thomas, like those who witnessed what took place, was experiencing profound sorrow, loss, grief. He witnessed the best man that he had ever known, the best man anyone had ever known. A man who had power unlike any he'd ever seen. A man who was kind and just, who always loved perfectly. He witnessed this man, his friend, die in the most brutal and graphic way. Thomas was in deep grief, no question, like the rest of them. He also likely was experiencing the wound of confusion For three years, I had given my life to this man, to this way. What just happened? And now what's going to happen? Who are we to follow now? Why are we to believe that it, and he was really who he said he was. Is this mission over? So much confusion, I'm sure, clouded his mind. And then there's shame. The shame that he, like all the disciples were told, had scattered. Judas wasn't the only one, nor was Peter who said three times, I do not know the man. There likely was deep wounds in his spirit because of that shame. Certainly there was disappointment. Disappointment, thinking that this whole movement would have turned out different than it had. And I believe deeply 
that his doubt, which has locked him up, is creating in him a self-protection. That the news that he returned and you 10 friends saw him, I don't want to believe it. it. I don't want to give myself over to that kind of hope. And because of these reasons, and I believe others, underneath his doubt were these wounds that caused him to say, unless I see his wounds, unless I put my hand in his hands and my fist in his side, I will never believe. Have you ever been locked up in doubt? Not necessarily about the existence of God, the existence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one true God. But if you've been in a place of doubt, questioning God's goodness, struggling to trust his will, being good and pleasing and perfect, have you ever doubted that his kingdom has come? Have you ever doubted that he is truly the only way, the only truth, the only life when in conflict with others who have a radically different view. Most of us have seasons in our life where we find ourselves locked in doubt. Some it's for a moment, others for a lasting season. But here is a gift given to us by God himself as the gospel writer John records this narrative. What's easy to miss is that Thomas did leave room for the possibility, unless I see, I will never believe. Well, he was about to see. He was about to see the wounds that he said he had to see in order to believe. He was about to see the living God because Christ Jesus in that same room, again behind locked doors, was going to enter into a man's life who was locked up in doubt. The mercy of Jesus now fulfilling what he said about being the good shepherd is that he enters into this same room. Verse 26 tells us eight days later, his disciples were inside, the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. As we speak about Jesus for a minute, this is important. We're told in the first appearance on that first day of the week when the doors were locked because the disciples were hiding in fear of the Jews. It says Jesus came and stood among them. That same word now is used eight days later when it says Jesus in verse 26 came and stood among them. It reminds us of this thread that the gospel writer John is giving to us that in the earliest chapters of his gospel, chapter one, verse 14, he speaks about the word becoming flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus fulfilling that reality again. Jesus Christ has entered into this room that has been locked. And now this, this man, Jesus, who's also fully God because he comes through a door that was locked, He's also man. He still holds a, a flesh that is recognizable and the scars, these wounds that are present from his crucifixion are there. 
And then Jesus in his tender mercy says once again to the 11, once again to the 11, peace be with you. But then he moves and he turns towards Thomas. In verse 27, he says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. He points Thomas to his wounds. The wounds of Christ remind us of who he is and what he did that we might live forever. From his wounds, Jesus then speaks these words to Thomas and he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. For all who doubt, there is a moment when we must move from disbelief to belief. And that moment happens when God himself unlocks this room of doubt that we are stuck in when the Lord himself reveals himself to us in a way that cannot be denied, we believe. And when we believe, we cry out as Thomas did in verse 28, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus speaks another word. Have you believed because you've seen me? And the answer is yes. And Jesus knows it. Thomas said, unless I see, I will never believe. Now he is seen and now he believes. And Jesus offers another word. Have you believed because you've seen me? And now he gives the beatitude actually. Blessed, happy are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And all of this is recorded so that for the church, capital C, for the thousands of years forward, John's gospel would accomplish what he set out to do, carried along by the Holy Spirit, to record these things, to write these things down, so that people may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Have you found yourself before in a place of doubt? Do you have a child, whether young or an adult child, who right now is living in doubt? It's very possible that in this season, there's many things that people are beginning to wonder and question and have doubts about. Well, what does the gospel have to say? With our doubts, we receive this passage, which is so powerful and hopeful for us, who are in Christ. On Easter, April 21st, 591, Gregory the Great preached this. It was not an accident that that particular disciple was not present. The divine mercy ordained that a doubting disciple should, by feeling in his master the wounds of the flesh, heal in us the wounds of unbelief. The unbelief of Thomas is more profitable to our faith than the belief of the other disciples. For the touch by which he is brought to belief confirms our minds in belief beyond all question. 
The story of Thomas is a gift to the church. The story of Thomas allows us to see that we can be honest with our doubts, that we can say to our living God, I'm struggling to believe in your resurrection power. I'm struggling to live out who I am in you based on what your word says. Jesus Christ can handle our doubts. Jesus Christ shows us though, the way in which he will enter into those locked rooms and unlock our belief. But it works this way. First, it's always God's way. Thomas made an emphatic and entrenched honest statement. Unless I see, I will never believe. God showed mercy to Thomas. He entered into a locked room and then he entered into a locked man's mind and heart. It's his way. It's Christ's way always. Only Christ had the power to unlock Thomas's belief. Only Christ had the power to show Thomas what he needed to see. And what is true for Thomas is true for all of us. Only God has the power to unlock our doubt. Only God has the power to unlock our children's doubts, our friends' doubts, our coworkers' doubts. But he has the power to do it. And that power is resurrection power. So when we want to move from doubt or want to see someone move from doubt, it has to be God's way. And what we see in God's way is that he's gracious and merciful to enter in. And when he enters in, what he does is he shows us his wounds. He reminds us of who he is, his person and his work, that he went to the cross, that indeed he took on the wrath of his father, the sin of all his people, all of his children. He points to his wounds. That's why we focus so much on the cross. But as he does so, he does so as the risen Lord. He is not on the cross. He is risen and he's reigning as our king. His way, his wounds, and then his word. Jesus speaks his words bluntly and specifically to Thomas. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve but believe when God through his word and spirit has revealed to you the truth of who he is. There's a moment for all of us when that doubt is unlocked and we move from disbelief to belief, his way, his wounds, his word. He says, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. And that is all of us. None of us have seen the risen Christ or seen those wounds, but one day we will. But the same power, the same resurrection power that had to resurrect belief in this disciple known as Doubting Thomas does that work in our lives. The spirit, God himself moves in and through us, opening our eyes to see the wonder of who he is as we look at his way, his wounds, and his word. And what does it lead to? For the people of God, when that doubt 
is lifted, when that room of doubt is unlocked, we, like Thomas, cry out, my Lord and my God, he is the way. We see his wounds. We trust his word and we worship him. Today, Holy Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would lift us, enable us to see, remove all doubts as we look at you and your wounds, as we look at your word and listen. Enable us to cry out, my Lord and my God. One day, Jesus, all who are in you will see you and will see those wounds. Because of those wounds, we who have trusted in you will live forever. But Lord, this side of heaven, we will be prone to wonder, prone to doubt, prone to become a person locked up in disbelief. So right now, Lord, if there are any watching, any listening, would you show them that you are the way? Would you enter into their doubt? Would you give them a vision of your wounds? Let them hear your word and lift them from this place of doubt, calling them to believe and no longer to disbelieve. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.